You're listening to Mental Work, your debrief on the day-to-day realities of being a mental health professional. I'm Bron. And I'm Rach. Let's go. Welcome back. Episode two. How are you, Bron? I'm all right. Excellent to hear. (laughs) Yeah. And today, today we are talking about burnout. Burnout. Yes. Now, burnout, when we first mentioned it today, I immediately thought of burnt marshmallows and now I can think of nothing else. But that's not what we're talking about today, is it, Bron? No, it's not. I, I have the imagery of burnt toast. Your mental imagery sounds much nicer. Yeah, I don't know how I got on the marshmallow train, but I'm solidly on it now and I don't think I'll be satisfied until I have some marshmallows. I agree. Me too. Mm. I hope you get your marshmallows. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I hope so too. Burnout. Burnout. It's what happens when you're stressed and you don't stop. And it's specific to the workplace. So it's, it's actually not a DSM diagnosis. It is a type of workplace stress that is chronic and unrelenting. Mm, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it usually sucks. And for mental health professionals in particular, it's relevant because so many mental health professionals experience it, especially during this whole COVID pandemic mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the standard definition is mm. kind of, you know, basically when we're stressed and we don't stop. In relation to the workplace. Yeah. Are there any other kind of concepts around burnout that you've come across? Well, it's really interesting because when I was researching this, I came across this really cool video. It was by Dr. Zubin Damania, and Mm. I'll put the link to it in the show notes. That also kind of sounds like a marshmallow. (laughs) It does. The Zubin variety. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exotic. Like maybe maybe pineapple, like pina colada. That's how I'm imagining it. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. Now I'm really off on one. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So Dr. Zubin, he conceptualizes burnout as a moral injury, particularly for mental health professionals. That's the context that he's talking about it in. Sure. And it doesn't make much sense at first, but when we think about it, it does. So the way he describes it is he says that When you think about mental health professionals, if you had to describe them, what would be your values that you would think as a mental health professional if you just had to list them off the top of your head? Mm. Well, I guess most people that I talk to, they would say there's at least some part of them that wants to help people. Yes. So I guess a like caring about people. Mm would be one of the foundations, I suppose. Mm. In some way you would have to to spend all your time kind of committed to. Yeah, I feel like you're either either or really. It's like you either yeah. have an affection for humanity or you want to see it burn. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Can either you way, be both? <laughs> sometimes a dash of both, yeah. yeah but yeah. definitely caring would be on the list of most people. Mm-hmm. So when we think about a moral injury, what Dr Zubin says is that when mental health professionals are prevented from acting out their value of caring, this mm. is what leads to stress and your morals are injured. So it would seem like if you're in a workplace where you have to compromise patient safety because your organisation is telling you to work faster. Right. Or if you know that a patient needs more but because of various red tape, you're unable to actually give them the services that they need. 
which sure. might go against even your ethical code, which is to optimize recovery for everybody you see. Yeah. Yeah. And that takes its toll, like just on you as like a human. Yeah. So it's that kind of like constant dissonance or that constant like butting up against something that's not in alignment. Yes with your values basically. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's the added thing in that it's hard to escape it and that's what makes it chronic. Mm -hmm. So it's like if you say the workplace was like work faster then you felt like you had to compromise patient safety but you're able to speak up and be like, hey, I'm having to do this and management were like, oh, gosh, we had no idea. We're so sorry. Please, (laughs) please take your time. Yeah. If that mm. happened in uh, magical dream fairyland, <laughs> then, then you know, you'd probably be okay because then that stress would be alleviated. Sure. Uh, but because we don't live in magic fairyland, then that leads to constant moral injury. You just feel like you cannot do anything. You are so ineffective. And that's what yeah. leads to the, I guess, typically core symptoms of burnout, which is like cynicism, exhaustion, depersonalization kind of being like, I just can't handle, so you detach yourself. Yeah. And that's a way of coping with stress, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because especially if you can't do anything about yeah. it, if you're finding you're having that feeling of being ineffectual, yes. like you're you're trying to address what you see as a concern and there's no avenues for you to yeah. do that in a workplace. Yeah. Um, funding doesn't allow it, mm-hmm. so there's not enough workers, whatever then it, that is going to be exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to have to either detach mm. or, well, just get real, real cynical. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a form of detachment in itself. Yes. But, yeah. And it's almost like, like this is just coming to me now, but it could also be like even just a second more injury for some people. Like I imagine for social workers, social justice is particularly important. Supposedly, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so like not only might you having, might you be having to compromise on something, but then you're having to be like, I'm trying to advocate and that's also ineffective. Yes. Yeah. Advocacy is a core kind of part of social work, Mm. but it's not a core part of many workplaces. Yeah, so it kind of, all these values that you learn at uni, like Mm. social justice, um, self-determination, like advocacy, they're really not things that you can have the opportunity to live out in the modern workplace a lot of the time. Yeah. And so that can be quite alarming and frustrating (laughs) and you can kind of end up with this cohort that's either been there many, many years Mm. and is burnt out and highly cynical Mm. or these new grads that are just trying their best doing the doggy paddle underwater. Yes. (laughs) Little duck feet (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) to stay afloat. And, And you know, bobbing up and down. there's missing middle. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And there's another article. I think Dr. Zubin actually took the idea of moral injury from this article, which I'll also link to in the show mm. notes. But they talk about that it's interesting that to see it as a moral injury because when we feel burnt out and we feel stressed, we're often told by management that not directly but perhaps indirectly that it's because we're not resilient enough. 
mm-hmm. when it's actually a system that is preventing us from effectively doing our jobs. Yes. Boom. Yes. Mm. And social workers, they're all about the systems, man. Mm. Like <laughs> systems theory, that's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> and we're, we're, we're always focusing on how, how is the system, how are our clients interacting with the system yeah. and how can we help them navigate that? Mm. We're interacting with the system too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess that could be like a uh, shared empathetic <laughs> kind of like shared understanding. It's like, yeah, the system sucks. The system does suck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I actually feel that way when um, clients come to me and they talk about their Medicare experiences and I'm like, ah. I feel you. Yes, I've also walked into a Medicare. Yes, those big bureaucratic kind of, yeah, mm. <laughs> absolutely. Mm. <laughs> How do I know if I'm experiencing burnout? Well, interesting question, Rachel. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> burnout is of interest to me because, yeah, like I've – I've had to go to great lengths to protect my health to not burn out, and I think we all do, mm-hmm. but it's really, really hard. And, and mental health professionals, like the way we cope with workplace stress tends to be so bad. We usually work more. So for me, the last time I was, was I burnt out? Well, this is the question, isn't mm. it? The last time I felt I was burnt out, and it might have been like an early stage of burnt out because I didn't have to take much time off work. Sure. I actually wrote down some of the signs that I was burned out. Uh-huh. I feel like this is uh, confessional now. <laughs> and we do have the little boxes. So it's like I'm talking to you through like this little wicker box. Yeah. Um, for sound quality. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, we're super professional. Yeah, we got, um, <laughs> what are they, Ikea? We've got Ikea little boxes and so we've got towels over them. Yes. I'll post it on our socials. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that what people say? What's our, what's our Insta handle? Oh, our Insta handle. I did it today. It's at Mental Work Podcast. God, that was so smooth. We're amazing. Because at Mental Work Pod was already taken. <laughs> the bastards. <laughs> <laughs> we hate them. So we couldn't be cool and like shorten the word podcast to pod like, yeah. you know, like the cool kids. I do feel like coolness rating has dropped a few points I know. as a result. I know. I feel really deflated. Yeah, me too. But anyway, we'll carry on. <laughs> and this is the type of injustices we're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, do you want to hear? Oh, please. Yeah. Yes. I'll pick out how many have I got? One, two, three. I think I've got about 10. Okay. I mean, at its most basic, I wrote down here. Feeling tireder. It, and is tireder a word? Oh, goodness. I say it a lot. I feel like it is. I feel like you would probably more often say I feel more tired. I, I think you're correct. But look, go with it. I feel like the tireder even ties in with the feeling mm-hmm. tireder, that I couldn't even be bothered to say more tired. Exactly. Um, harder to concentrate, I had. Right, yes. Do little to no prep before a session. Sorry, clients. <laughs> it's because I'm tired. But also, where's the time? <laughs> yes, yeah. And I said uh, too tired to do self-reflections. So ideally yeah. when I'm doing well at work, I will reflect after each session of therapy that I do and I'll be like, what did I do well? What didn't I do so well? What made me stop and pause? And be, I use that to bring to supervision. But, okay, that's a great idea. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but but when I burnt out, nope, that goes out the window straight away. Sure. And I'll just go briefly through the other ones. So 
God, it sounds so bad, but I don't care about monitoring clients' progress with questionnaires. I'm just like, not too tired. Just I got, I just have enough energy for the therapy. Mm-hmm. I have an increased urge to hug clients to take away their pain. So that's what I do, I guess, like in my personal life for some people. And so, yeah, when I'm really on the verge of burnout, I'm just like, oh, this poor person crying in front of me. I wish I could just do something. rather than maintain that kind of professional boundary, not to mention that they may not want to be touched. Yeah, but Mm. it's like, so I guess it's like a blurring of the lines. Yeah. Yeah, and it's more emotionally led rather than, Mm. I don't know what the opposite of that is. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the opposite, yeah. (laughs) Knowledge led. Yeah. (laughs) And, Yeah. And related to that, I've got written down, I disclose more personal information in sessions than necessary when I'm on the verge ah, of burnout. Interesting. That's an interesting one. Yeah, because I guess like with psychologists, we tend to use self-disclosure in quite a purposeful way that is sure. beneficial for the client. If it's just gratuitous for ourselves, then that's not a reason to use self-disclosure. But when I'm feeling burnt out, a client might say something and then for everyone that reflex of like go through your own experiences kicks in. But then mm. when I'm feeling well, I can go to the second response, which is responding to the client. But then yeah. I might say that that first response and I'll be like, oh, me too, and give like a line of two of my personal experience, which didn't add anything. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And then oh, this is probably a really good one, but I find it harder to accurately assess the severity of clients. So okay. I'm more likely to think they're not doing too bad. They don't need to see me as often, which is terrible. You can imagine that's hugely impactful. Mm. And the final one is can't be bothered following up with clients who appear to have prematurely dropped out. So when I'm feeling well at otherwise, send them a text message or an email, checking in on them and inviting them to another appointment. Yeah. So yeah, those are more of my confessionals. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, thank you for sharing because it's not easy to kind of put yourself in that vulnerable space. Mm. And it, it, highlights though like really how insidious kind of burnout is Mm -hmm. and how it can really creep up on us as well and we kind of then end up in that place before we even realize it Mm -hmm. and reflecting back yeah we can see the signs Mm -hmm. but it's often not easy to do at the time right no no so this was a rare instance when I would say if I had a burnout scale like I didn't have to have time off work for this particular instance so that that means that I've had burnout where I'm like crippled for weeks and I just play mm. Animal Crossing literally for like a week or two, but I didn't have to take any time out. So on a scale of like one to five where five is completely burnt out, I was probably like a three at that stage. And okay. even as a three, that had that had potential to be detrimental to my clients. Like I wasn't delivering poor care but I wasn't delivering optimal care and that really meshes with my values because I really want to deliver the best care I can yeah. to my clients all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Okay, so you end up in this place where it's kind of you're noticing this real dissonance between mm. your kind of how you want to be as a practitioner mm. and the reality of where you're at yeah. at that point in time. Yeah. <laughs> What do you do? (laughs) I mean, and like, I think this is another reason why, like why we are talking about this, because another article that I found, it estimated, it gave health professionals 
uh, like a standard, I think it was like the Maslach, Maslock. <laughs> Fucked if I know. Um, that guy's burnout inventory. And oh, they found yeah. that one in two of the health professionals they surveyed was across a variety of mental health professions. And one in two were experiencing very high levels of exhaustion. Wow. So you can imagine. That's pretty scary. It is pretty scary. <laughs> one in two. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of what like I finish up with the episode on, but what I want to get across is that it's like if you're a health professional and you value caring for other people, we often put ourselves last. Yeah. But literally like can you imagine one and two patients going to see an exhausted health professional? Mm. Like what quality of care are they going to get? I should have written down there as well. I think I did. Did I have a page two? No. Oh, I did actually have a page two. Whoa, we only did half my things (laughs) because I knew there was one on there. And one of my big signs is that instead of actively listening to my clients really in depth, when I'm burnt out, I'll give generic signs of active listening. So I'll be like, yeah, uh (laughs) uh-huh. I know, it's so terrible. So it's like, you know, but if one and two of us are, are like that, no wonder so many clients are like my therapist isn't helping me. Yeah, good point. I once speaking of like little verbal cues. Yes. Um, I have there's this guy that I know, someone that I know from a volunteering role, and he used to always make fun of that I sounded like a motorbike starting up because when I was listening, I would be like, hmm, hmm. <laughs> and, and, and he would that just do And it was it was actually really like it was hilarious, but it was actually quite helpful to, <laughs> to my personal reflection because uh, as soon as he would like notice me doing it, he would just do like the handlebar signals <laughs> of a motorbike like because <laughs> I'd be obviously ramping up my mm's too much. and it was all in good jest but it was actually like quite an important kind of it whether I was actually listening or whether I was just doing the standard ming ramping up (laughs) yeah this is my cue am I starting my motorbike (laughs) wow that's so awesome Uh, (laughs) he's a funny guy (laughs) that is really funny that is also really good recognition uh self-awareness yeah it's very right (laughs) (laughs) I just remembered oh I I was uh, yeah I'm very fond of them (laughs) that was great (laughs) Uh, so do you have any like does that kind of stuff like I wonder if it's different to you with your like I'm just going to assume you've experienced burnt out unless you're Absolutely. just like an angelic. No, <laughs> I mean I am angelic, but <laughs> I still experience burnout. Um, no, for sure. And I, I think I've had you know a couple of quite big instances, but I think it's those kind of little everyday mm. ones where it kind of creeps up on you that you need to be aware of before it gets to the big stage. Yes, but um, yeah, I've certainly had a, a job. Um, the last kind of clinical role that I was working in, mm. yeah, I definitely burnt out there and I ended up leaving um, before the end of my probation. Um, oh. It was a long probation. It was like a six-month one. Mm. But I, I left just before the end of it because because the situation was kind of uh, so severe. I, I disclosed to my kind of manager at the time that I felt like I was burnt out. Mm. As soon as I said that word burnt out, mm. they freaked the fuck out. Oh. It was like lockdown central <laughs> on Rachel. 
So and did that make things better or worse? Oh, I mean, what do you think, Bron? (laughs) (laughs) Was that helpful? Was it helpful to stigmatise Rachel and her burnout? I got sent home immediately. Jesus Christ. I did not have time to pack up my desk. My God. Um, And I then was not allowed back into the workplace until I had a medical certificate um, saying that I was fit for work. And this was just from expressing to someone who was supposed to be my clinical manager as well as my clinical supervisor. And did they give you like a rationale? Like I'm just like thinking in my head, I'm like, do do they realise that burnout is not an infectious contagious disease yeah so yeah that's that's the thing it was treated like I mean it was pre this was pre-COVID yeah but it was like I was like hot yeah I was hot off the virus like I just (laughs) I was spreading it everywhere like did they think they were doing you a favor See, I I still don't really know um, because I never actually came back to work. Okay. I I quit. Damn. Uh, about a, a week and a half into my burnout leave mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it was a really, really hard decision for me because I was so worried about my clients, mm-hmm. you know. I thought, oh, I've just left them in the middle of – their care. Yeah. Um, how am I supposed to do a proper handover? Mm. How am I supposed to, but it was one of those situations where I really had to put myself first Mm. and to know that me going back into that situation with the clients wasn't necessarily going to benefit them. Yes. It would be jarring to suddenly change workers, but that's probably better than me going in, in an unfit state. Mm. Although, it definitely could have been handled in a smoother and um, more beneficial way to myself and the rest of my colleagues and team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because everyone was like, oh, she just disappeared. Absolutely. Mm. That sounds like one of the worst ways I've heard that an organisation has handled burnout. It was pretty shocking. Yeah. Yeah, and it was to the point where I felt like because I was still on probation as well, um, I felt like I had to quit before I got fired. Oh. <laughs> so I was put in a, a bit of a tricky position. But what led up to that was really a really hammering down a focus on on KPIs, oh. how many hours of client hours yeah. and client contact hours mm. you had a day, Yeah, less of a focus on quality Mm. more of a focus on quantity yes we just need to get these numbers we just need to get these percentages yeah not any um kind of reflection on um I guess the risk profiles Mm. or the uh amount of work involved with particular um clients or the amount of case management involved with particular Mm. it was just pure numbers yeah and like which doesn't work with people, no. right? No, yeah, you raise <laughs> a really good point because that just, it reminds me that, yes, that was the thing that led to burnout for me when I was working in community mental health. Mm. We had to do X number of hours a day. Then if we didn't meet our KPI by literally half an hour, it would be brought to the CEO of the organisation and then the manager would meet with you. Surely the CEO has better things to do with their time. Apparently not. Not when it's their salary on the line, I guess, or, you know. And and that was disregarding the client profile as well. So it was Mm -hmm. like you're asking us to see I had a six-hour KPI 
and was expected to see six clients a day. And these are people with very, very severely unwell, mm. uh, complex trauma. And we're having to just tick a box and send yeah. them off. Oh, sorry, your hour's gone. Yeah. And yeah. And, you know, I would have people with complex trauma and I'm like, they need the time to be able to come back into their body because they are dissociated. Mm. But they didn't give a fuck. Sorry, that doesn't fit in my KPIs. Yeah. Hey, sorry, can't get extra money out of them if they're sorry, you need to stop crying now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was that whole like being treated like a robot. It's like yeah. I'm not a robot. That's just like, how does that make you feel? Yeah. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. And it's it's it is a juggling act because then we have to be able to show numbers in order to get funding. Yes. And get money and all these kind of stuff. It's this vicious cycle of yeah. how do we. How do we demonstrate quality in our work mm. rather than just quantity? Yes. And how can funding bodies recognise that quality and instead of just, oh, this one gets more numbers through? Because do those numbers come back around again once yeah. once you put them through the mm. six sessions? Mm. They're going to need another bloody six sessions yes, just to cope with the first. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, and that's a good point because it is like something is wrong there because mm. for me it was always too much work and not enough support. Um, like the manager visiting me to talk about my under KPI was like, you know, the only support, the only time they ever saw them. It's very short-sighted, right? Yes. And I yeah. thought like... Um, it doesn't take more to hire and train somebody than it does to retain them, that sort of thing, that old chestnut. So it's yeah. like, you know, you'd think they'd look at it and be like, we've got so many people burnt out on sick leave or leaving. Mm -hmm. Surely it would be better financially if we had more support given to them, but I guess not. Yeah, it's because everything is, it's like politicians, right? Everything yeah. is just the the cycle, the one cycle. Yeah. So you're just thinking about the next four years or the next three <laughs> years. like, um, Or in the case of this, you're just thinking about the next quarter. Yes. What are our numbers going to look like in the next quarter? Jesus Christ. Rather than how are we actually going to build a resilient workforce yeah. and a good team and retain mm -hmm. staff that we've put money and time into training. Yeah. And then give better outcomes to clients as well. Oh gosh, oh God, this sounds it's like complex. such a. I mean, I feel I feel for you, Rach. Like, uh, what a bummer with your situation. Yeah, it was a real bummer. Yeah, yeah. It's it's something that still kind of I guess feels unresolved mm. for me. But I, I have to say, I I'm in a workplace now that is I, I almost don't trust it because they're very conscious of flexibility in working arrangements, very conscious of care for their employees, and I'm like. What's going on? <laughs> like, are you suspicious? I'm, like, I'm suspicious. I'm fucking suspicious. I'm like, what? What are they trying to catch me out on? <laughs> um, because I've been in so many workplaces yeah. where that has not been the case yeah. at all. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's um it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting for sure. But I guess like what are the I guess what are the key takeaways? I mean, there's because it's it is so complex. There's yes. so much there. Yeah. It's something that so many of us experience yes it's kind of so prevalent and systemic what do we do well like <laughs> I don't know well I do know I did write down some things oh my gosh we're not going to leave you listener we're just like the world sucks okay bye so like while I was in in it like when I was working for impossible employers I really just tried to survive I would just 
ignore emails from management. I just, I set up like an outlook rule that emails from management <laughs> would just go to this like, like folder that I just wouldn't read. And that made me feel better. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I really but liked that. that's managing your incoming, yeah, yeah your incoming yeah, kind of stresses. Yeah. I would literally like my heart rate would go through the roof every yeah. time I saw an email from management and I was just like, I cannot. So I did that. So I did whatever I could to survive. I would get home and go for a walk. I would do anything I could to make sure that I was taking care of me Mm. because yeah, like it just sucks when you're so unwell, like, you know, our health can't suffer. And then I think I got sick of surviving. And this was one of the things that prompted me to go into my own private practice because I figured like I couldn't do much about the system. I couldn't change it. Yeah. We've only got so much power, right? We're not all like fucking superheroes. Yeah. 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 And, you know, was that like for me, I'm such a small fry as well. Like, <laughs> small fry. Yeah. Oh, but, oh, I now am. I'm thinking about chips now. Yeah. Oh my God, I must be really hungry. <laughs> but like when I worked at a hospital, I was literally like the least experienced person on my team. I am, mm. I was the baby. And yeah, there's not much that I can do in that system. So I, had, I got out of the system like quite dramatically. And yeah. yeah, like I started my own business. And I think like there is like an element of trauma, like you're saying, like you're suspicious of your current workplace. I'm suspicious of other psychologists um, because I've been burned by a few. Mm. And yeah, so it's, I kind of carry that around, but I also try and take care of my health as much as possible. Sure. Yeah. And I guess getting to know, like for me, it was a real big step to write down those signs of burnout when Mm -hmm. I was actually in the thick of it. And I was like, what is happening for me right now? Like this isn't me. So it was really important for me to sit down and be like, yeah, this isn't me and I need to acknowledge it. So I remember when I wrote that list, I think I had supervision that day or the day after. And I said to my supervisor, I'm feeling burnt out. And he took it seriously. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he said like, okay, uh, what's led to this? What's going on? Wow. Um, here's some Here's some strategies. They were good strategies. He was like, limit your client numbers, make sure you do this. It was really helpful. So I guess having a person who can acknowledge it for what it is and it's like when I say I'm burnt out, it means I'm really unwell, like I'm on the verge of like drowning. Mm. That's the thing. It's not just a light term. It's yeah. it's a serious thing. And yeah, and I guess when we notice those, because you mentioned not being yourself, when we notice that in our colleagues, mm. like I, I guess that's an important thing too. Yeah. Mm. Because sometimes we can't see those initial signs for ourselves, but yes. we might be able to pick them up in our colleagues yeah. or our team, our friends. Yeah, um, yeah, and how we kind of, I guess, acknowledge that and validate that yeah. and help. Yeah, I and and that's like a key step forward as well. Like mm. do help out your colleagues. Like for me, just because of my personality, if I noticed a colleague who was looking really worse for wear, I'd depending on who they are, but if I had a good relationship with them, I'd just be like, God, you look like hell today. Like, <laughs> I love you so much. And normally, like, you know, you're such a beautiful person, but poor man, um, what's happening? Um, but everybody's got their own personal style of bringing that up and sensitivities. Like, I wouldn't say that to somebody who's just on the verge of crying. Like, yes. read the room. <laughs> yeah, read, read the room, yes. <laughs> like, I once had a colleague who was about to cry and, you know, give them a hug and you don't need to do anything else. So sometimes it's like about kind of busting through those kind of awkward social politeness barriers in yeah. a way. Like yeah. it's like, no, fuck politeness. Yeah. And just 
you know, this needs to be handled. Yeah, it <laughs> this does. needs to be taken seriously. It does need to be taken seriously. And this person needs to know that I care as well. Yeah. Yeah. Another way I might approach it is be like, dude, sounds like you need a break. And they'd be like, mm. yeah, yeah. And I'd be like, no, really. Like, yeah. when have you got that leave scheduled? Like, can you bring it forward? Yeah. And there's always reasons why not. Yeah. Like, I found when I was getting burnt out, I was finding reasons to put off supervision mm. because supervision was the less important thing because, mm. hey, that didn't count towards KPIs. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, oh. <laughs> so that was lowest of the priority list. Yeah. And then that's obviously going to make the cycle worse. Mm. <laughs> so I guess those are kind of like low key kind of strategies. Like mm. I would use all of them and I have. Yeah. But the other ones that I do have written down, and this is from the literature as well. They, I'm not, tell me what you think of this one. Okay. But here's what I read. It said, be clear and firm in what you need to do to do your job. So say mm. to management over and over again, you're not doing what you need to as an employer to allow me to do my job. Right. Uh, what do you think of something like that? It depends. It depends on the context, but that can be really hard ask when you're already feeling like you're on the road to burnout. I don't think I'd be able to do that when I'm burnt out. No. And and then sometimes or often when you do ask for help like happened to me, people treat you like you have a plague. Yeah. <laughs> um, or you don't get a good reaction. Like yes. what happens if I've often been in the position where I've ended up on the outs of in organisations because I ask too many questions, yeah, because too. I bring up issues, yeah. because I think of better ways to do things yeah. and it's too hard to change things. Let's just keep everything the way they are. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, saw this, I saw this great comment the other day and it was like, who wants change? And uh, everybody puts up their hand yes. and it's like, who wants to change? And everybody yes. hand down. Yes, yeah, so everybody uh, likes the idea of change but nobody actually, like if you ask them, they'll be like, yeah, change is great, but yeah. secretly they're like, is this fucker wouldn't change? Yes, yes, very change averse. Yes. So I think that can be really tricky to do that one. Yeah. And it's also it kind of um, that point you were making the other day about um, it being seen as entitled. Yeah. So when we do ask for things mm. or we do like say knock off on time and not mm. work that extra 10 minutes, not work that extra half an hour, it's seen as we're being selfish or we're being entitled or we expect things to be handed to us in this generation. Mm. And <laughs> which I really hate because it's like, well, what a convenient narrative for them to yeah. tell us. Like, yeah, like it works very well if they tell us that we're selfish and entitled because then we're like, oh, God, I won't do that then. Guess I'll keep slaving away. <laughs> So it's just like, oh, it's just so shitty. Like, or when you work for a not-for-profit, it's yeah. kind of expected that you put those extra miles in because it's like, oh, you know, we're all here for the love of it. Huh. And it's like, well, yeah, but also I need money to survive. Yes. And um, also I have, just because I'm in a helping profession doesn't mean that I don't have a right to progress my career, yes. to, you know, want those extra things yeah. to be able to develop as a professional. Mm. Um, and part of that is putting in boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. We try and get our clients to put in boundaries all the fucking time, don't mm. we? Yes, we do. And then <laughs> we struggle with them ourselves. Yeah, we do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I think, like, we'll just we'll, we'll start wrapping up, but, yeah. like, Okay, I'll try and do like two takeaways because I think I could, sure. you know, we'll probably do burnout episode, you know, 
part two, three, four, and five at some point. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. there's just so it's much needed. on it. But the, okay, point number one that I want people to take away is that if you value caring for other people, how much, ask yourself, how much can I care for other people if I am barely keeping my head above the water? You just get into a vicious cycle if you, if you do not take care of yourself. This is what I found most compelling for me. I'm like, I cannot help other people if I just am feeling like rubbish. So that's really compelling for me. So I'd encourage you to take that away. But also my second takeaway is find out what you need to survive and ignore the social awkwardness that comes with it. When I worked at hospital, I really needed a nap during the day. Mm-hmm. So I'd go outside and lie on the grass. And at one point when I was working full time at the hospital, I brought like a sleeping bag, like blow up little mattress. It was really small. It's not like a massive one. Like, yeah, I didn't go crazy. Uh, (laughs) But it was like a really small inflatable one. And then I had like a hospital pillow and I'd just turn off the light in the office and like take a snooze. Yeah. yeah. uh, Because I was so exhausted. Oh, I made jokes about that so many times. I I actually did it. Yeah. Wow. It was great, by the way. I think you're my hero. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd say like weigh up the benefits and costs. Like, is preventing burnout worth a few seconds of awkwardness? Yes. Hell yes, it is. Yeah. So those are my takeaways. What are your takeaways? Yeah. I mean, apart from really wanting chips and marshmallows, <laughs> <laughs> I think those are really good. I think the space, and it's kind of very similar to last week as well, it's finding those spaces where you can feel your most authentic self mm. because when you're in alignment as, as much as possible in alignment, then you're you're going to experience be less likely to experience the burnout mm. but it's not always possible so my other takeaway is i used to constantly fight the system mm. and i realized my takeaway was what fights are worth fighting right now oh that's a good one yeah mm. pick and choose your battles mm. kind of thing mm. because um not all of it is going to be possible. You can't do it all. So it's prioritizing what actually is useful for me right now mm. is, am I going to get anywhere with this particular argument or is this just making things worse? Yeah. And then being okay to change workplaces as well. Yes. Even though that is a bloody scary thing. Mm. <laughs> But it's okay to try a few different things and yeah. see where you fit. Yeah. That's val- valuable experience yeah. being, um, you know, across a few different sectors and across a few different kinds of places. Yeah. So I'd say that's my kind of takeaway. Cool. Thanks, mm. Rach. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So listeners, I want you to email us. What's our email address again? Oh, our email is thementalworkpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, Rach. I genuinely forgot. That wasn't <laughs> like a, a throw to you. <laughs> and um, now that we're telling people to email us, we actually have to check the email too. Yeah, I haven't checked it. I will though. I will though. Yes. 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 But okay, here, here it is, listener. You know how a collective of crows is called a murder and a group of lions is called a pride? There's also wacky ones like a knob of wild <laughs> fowl. Yes. <laughs> and and we've got, the, you know, the parliament of owls. So I want to know, do you have an idea for a good collective noun for mental health professionals? Uh, 
<laughs> I don't have anything. I can think of a few inappropriate words. Say it. Say it. Say it. No. no, no. <laughs> They're all quite stigmatizing. Oh, okay, sure. Don't say it. Don't say it. So e- email us your yeah. non-stigmatizing idea. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Mental Work. Check out the show notes on your phone for links to things we talked about on the show, as well as additional resources we think you might find helpful. If you're loving the show and don't want to miss an episode, press subscribe on your podcast listening app. Follow us on the socials at Mental Work Podcast for the latest updates about the podcast and tag us in your thoughts. And if you enjoyed this episode or any of our previous conversations, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, share the show with your colleagues, and consider subscribing to the Patreon to support the show. That's patreon.com slash mentalwork. Finally, what kind of content would you enjoy hearing us talk about? What do you want to know? Get in touch over email at mentalworkpodcast.gmail.com. Catch you later. See you soon.